Good morning. Uh, This morning we're going to be in Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 through 28. And God said, let us make man in our image, after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and all of the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image, and in the image of God he created him, male and female he created them. And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this morning, and we thank you for uh, providing us uh, such a place as this to gather and to worship you and to uh, hear the gospel preached. And we pray um, for Pastor Tim as he uh, prepares to do that, that you would be with him and speak through him. And Father, that you would open up our eyes to see the truths in your word and soften our hearts to understand them. And we ask these things in Jesus' name, amen. Amen, you can be seated. Well, good morning, it's good to see you guys. My name is Tim, I'm the pastor here. If you are new with us, just a special welcome to you. This is a really good Sunday to join us if you are new. After the service, we're gonna do something we call starting point. And uh, I know visiting a church can be hard, especially the first time, and maybe you've been coming even for a little while, you just don't know many people, and you're wondering, like, how do I start? How do I connect here? What does that look like? And uh, we have community groups during the week, but they're in homes, and maybe you think, well, that's kind of a big step. And so we just want to make that step smaller for you and and make it easy for you to connect with our church. And so we're going to do that today. It's called Starting Point. We're actually going to do it right down here in these first two rows after the service. It'll go about 30 minutes. We'll have some coffee for you. We'll talk about the vision of our church, ways you can plug into that vision, and you can even ask questions uh, about our church, about Jesus, anything like that. We'd love to answer those for you. So some of you have signed up for that. Even if you haven't, uh, just head down here right after church, and we'd love to hang out with you and talk about connecting to what God is doing here at PBC. So stay for that. Uh, Today, in our few moments during the service, we're talking about what we believe Uh, We started this series last week, and we started it with God, because everything starts with God, and we've talked about what we believe about God, and we're going to talk about humanity, we're going to talk about heaven and hell next week, we're going to talk about the church in two weeks, and so we're going to address a lot of big issues, and we're going to do that for a few reasons. One is I want to speak to you uh, what we believe and what I believe God says we should believe from the Bible. And I want you to receive that, I want you to listen, I want you to take notes, right? And I want you to be able to speak that to the people, those who believe like you do and those who don't, right? And so part of it is a confessional belief, right? That's a goal for this morning. We want you to have a a confessional belief that is rooted in scripture, right? But it's more than that. We don't want it just to stop with confessional, we want it to go to functional, Right? We want it to invade your circumstances. We want your belief to guide your behavior. We want your conviction to apply to your circumstances, because it does. God set it up that way, and so you can be encouraged. As you walk in here this morning, all of us do that in different ways. Some of us walk here in doubt, in difficulty. Some of you walk in here, you, you barely made it here, you're just overwhelmed, you're tired with your schedule. Some of you are thinking about your finances and they're all out of whack. Some of you are thinking about your relationships, maybe some relationships even in this room, like your husband, your wife, your kids, your friend, and you're just like, man, there's some tension right now in the midst of this sermon. And listen, I want you to see that what we're going to talk about today, 
that it applies, that we want our belief to inform our behavior, that we want our conviction to affect our circumstances, and God says it does. We see it throughout Scripture. And so that's what we're diving into as we get into it this morning. We're talking about this morning what we believe about humanity. And we can't hit everything. I said this last week, but we have a resource for you. It's called Christian Beliefs. Uh, It's in the lobby at what we call our Connect Desk. Right through those double doors, turn inward. There's a laptop, a computer. And there's also right now some books. It's, it's a short book. It's broad, though, and it's really solid. So it covers all kinds of areas, what we believe, what we see in Scripture. And we want you to pick that up because we can't cover everything in these 30 or 40 minutes together. And so it's $10. You can grab that in the lobby and dive deeper with us. As we get into it, in our culture, we see all sides of humanity, don't we? I mean, we see the worst of humanity, and we see the most amazing things humanity can produce, and we see it even at an early age. It's amazing, isn't it? What humans can accomplish, what we're capable of. You you actually see this in the Olympics, right? You have people coming from different nations, different places in our world, different backgrounds, and they're coming to do amazing things, right? And you see the phenomenal acts that they're able to accomplish. But even in the Olympics, you see another side of humanity, right? I don't know if you follow the news very much, but in Rio, I mean, people getting mugged, shot. I read somewhere that one of the events, there was a bullet that accidentally grazed past um, like a ceiling or something like that, a, a, a door, and it didn't hit anybody. But that was in the Olympics, right? And so we see the phenomenal acts of humanity, but then we see that humanity is also deeply flawed. All right, we even see it in a few of our Olympians, right? And some of the decisions they made recently. We see all sides of humanity, and you experience that in your own life, right? Maybe not the phenomenal, right, like we saw on the screen. Maybe not that. But you're like, man, I've done some good things in my life. I'm capable of some good things. You look around at our different professions, even just represented in this room, and the ways we contribute to society, the talents that I couldn't do, and some talents you couldn't do that I can do, and we we all blend together, and it's this amazing work of art that God has provided, but we also know that it can be deeply flawed. And if you read the Bible, you see that on every page, right? You see this amazing capacity for growth, for joy with humanity, and you see this devastating destruction and death as well. And so we're going to look at that. What does God say about humanity? Not what we say. What does God say, and how do we live in light of that? Our first point, if you're taking notes, is dignity and responsibility. That when God sees humanity, he sees dignity and responsibility. We see that in Genesis 1, 26 through 28. You can look at the text with me. Brad read it earlier. We see that God makes man in his image, it says. It says his likeness. And so uh, some context for you. God has created everything. uh, Chapter 1 chronicles all of that. He creates the sun. He creates the stars. He creates the sky. That he creates the animals. He creates all of that. And what's interesting, if you notice, if you've ever read Genesis 1, is for all of that, God says, let there be. Let there be, right? But something changes as he gets to humanity. He says something different. He says, let us make. It's really significant. I want you to pay attention to that. Let us make. Let there be to let us make. The first time he says this. So we need to first look at that. Who is us, right? Some people think, well, that's maybe the angels. Maybe God was, had split personalities, right? 
but that's not what we believe. We believe that's the Trinity. We mentioned this briefly last week, that God is Father, Son, and Spirit. And so even in the beginning, Jesus is there with the Father. Even in the beginning, the Holy Spirit is there. It says earlier in chapter one, it's hovering over the waters. That God, three persons, one essence, gets involved in humanity. And that he creates it, and he says, let us make. There's a different type of intentionality with the creation of mankind. It made me think of painting. And I'm not an artist, but I did grow up watching PBS. And I don't know if you remember Bob Ross. Puffy hair, right? Happy trees, Bob Ross. But it reminded me of of a painter just doing the periphery of of the canvas and just saying, we're going to put a little bit here. I'm going to put a little bit here, and then stepping back and pausing and saying, now, let us make this. This is going to be the centerpiece. This is going to be different. This is going to be the the main point is the way I'm going to intersect with this is going to be the biggest thing I've ever done. It's going to be different, set apart, unlike anything else that's on the periphery. And so he doesn't say, let there be. He says, let us make. There's a creativity there's a, a personableness to this that's unlike anything else in creation. One commentator said this, he called it divine deliberation. Divine deliberation. That in Genesis 1, you see it as God makes all these things, sun, moon, and stars. He steps back and he says, it's good, right? And I think we would all agree, we live in the desert, and so we get a pretty good view of the stars, and we see the sun every day. And we could step back and we'd all agree with God and say, man, it is good. But that when God, a few verses later in verse 31, after he's created humanity and said, let us make, and there's this divine deliberation, there's this intentionality that's different than anything else. After that, he says, it's very good. It's the first time he says that. Isn't that amazing? It's the first time sun, moon, stars, all these things that we would agree, we've seen, right? They're really, really good. He steps back and says, this is very good. This is unique. This is different. And that's you and that's me because you're created in God's image. That there is a built-in dignity associated with humanity that is unlike any other created thing. And so listen, I love Sarah McLaughlin. I get a little teary-eyed when that commercial comes on. Right? And we see the dogs in the fences. Like, I love dogs. We don't have one yet because we've got three kids. But one day we're going to get a dog, and I'd love to adopt a dog. And they have incredible value, but not like mankind, right? That mankind is the only part of God's creation who is made in his image, who is made in his likeness. And with that comes some incredible worth and value. It's such a big deal that he repeats it in verse 27. Look at the verse. It says, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And so maybe right about now, you're wondering, like, what does that mean, Tim? What does it mean to be created in God's image? I know we see a lot of things that aren't created, that don't seem like they're created in God's image. In my own life, I don't always feel like that. So what does that mean? Well, basically, what it's talking about is that we are somewhat reflecting what God is like that we can and we have the ability to as humans because we're made in God's image to love, to care for, and to cultivate things for the good of others. 
And that's what God does, and that's what he's like. So he makes us in his image. And the implications of this are really important. One is this, that all life is precious. All life is precious. That it doesn't matter what you can achieve or contribute. It's not based on your intellect or ability. It's not based on whether you can do a backflip off the kitchen counter or not. Right, that everybody is precious in the eyes of God. And so people have value because God set it up that way. I want you to think about this. When, when God, who has ultimate value, right? God has ultimate value. We worship him as creator, as sustainer, as sovereign. That he has ultimate value. And that when he creates something else and he ascribes value to it, that that is all the merit we need for it to have value. Do you see that? And so the concept in our culture today is, well, what can they contribute to society? What can they achieve? That you need to know that anything people do in that regard for our world is just a bonus. That right where they are, before they can crawl, before they can walk, before they can earn a paycheck, God says they have dignity and value. And that God decides that. That you and I don't get to decide that. That God decides humanity has dignity, but it doesn't just have dignity, it has responsibility. Verse 26, look back at that verse. It says, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all created, over all the earth and over all creeping things that creep on the earth. Verse 28, it says, and God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. So as you look at verse 26 and verse 28, you see that we have a responsibility. Our first responsibility is dominion. That word dominion means to rule. And maybe some of you, that, think, that seems odd, like we're supposed to rule over people? Like I feel like that's inconsistent with God's character, but you need to know in the context of the whole of Scripture that anytime you see authority, that it's always directly connected to serving, right? Jesus says, if you're gonna be great, then you're gonna serve. You're gonna be first, you're gonna be last. That anytime we see the biblical concept of authority in marriage, in male headship, that it's not about lording over someone, it's about serving. And so we are called to a responsibility not to dominate, but to cultivate the good of others. And we see that more in verse 28. It says, and God blessed them. So if you're here this morning, you are blessed just because you were created in God's image, that God has blessed you. But he says to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. And so he blesses us, but he gives us the responsibility to multiply that blessing. Part of the way we do this is having babies, right? And, and that's true, right? It's good to make babies. It's good to be fruitful and multiply in that way. But it's really even more than that. Notice he blesses us, and that needs to multiply and fill the earth. It's the idea that we, as God's image bearers, are charged with putting God on display. That in our sphere of influence, that collectively, that we should fill the earth with putting God on display, fill the earth with this blessing that we have inherent dignity, independent of what we can offer, but we also have inherent responsibility to bless others, independent of what they can offer us. Do you see that? And so just a few weeks ago, we did a school supply drive, and we collected backpacks, and if you were here, you saw that lobby, you guys crushed it, right? 
That lobby was full of school supplies. Other businesses participated and partnered with us in this. We talk about that love moves a lot. That's what we mean by that, that, that Jesus, his love moved him to earth, that our love for him moves us out to others. And so we, we saw an expression of that over the last few weeks. And we got to give those backpacks to people in this neighborhood who would not have that otherwise. Now listen, why did we do that? Why did we do that, right? Why did you go buy school supplies? Why did a couple of businesses in our city find out about this on Instagram, contact us, start gathering supplies, and bring them this way? Why do we do that stuff? Is it because that, well, studies show, I mean, if we get the kids while they're young, right? If we equip them, if we educate them, if we get them in school, if they stay in school, then they'll graduate, they'll go to college, they'll get a career, they'll contribute to society, and maybe one day they'll tithe it back. Is that why we do it? No, right? No. We don't do it because of what they can offer us. We do it independently of anything they could ever offer us. We do it because we have been blessed. We have been made in God's image with dignity, and so we see other people like that, and we treat them accordingly. We do it, and we do all those types of things as a church because God loves us, and he loves them too. And so we live our lives in response to that truth. And it doesn't matter if they graduate high school, although we want them to. It doesn't matter if they lose that backpack in six weeks. We do it next year, right? Why? Because we're made in God's image. We have dignity, and it also comes with responsibility, all of us. That's how God has designed it. The rich and the poor, the brilliant and the broken, those at the end of life, those who are still developing in the womb, we bless them because they're made in God's image and God has designed us to fill the earth with his blessing. We have three kids, my wife and I, and I know for our first child, we went in for our initial tests and you, and you go in for lots of visits during the pregnancy. And, and one of those visits, I can't remember which one, but every time for all three kids, they always ask us, do you want to do these tests to see if they have down syndrome or other challenges, see if they're going to be born with that, at least as much as we can predict. And so I remember our first child, we had no clue, like we're going into the doctor, we had no clue about anything, like what does insurance cover? I mean, that was our biggest question, right? How much do we have to pay for this? Like we just had no clue. And so we began to ask the doctor, okay, well, if we do these tests, like what, what's that all about? Like what, what's on the line there? And he said, well, basically we can't prevent it. If it's there, it's there but you'll just be able to be educated and maybe you can research it a little before birth, uh, but you might also make a different decision. And I don't know about you, but our doctors didn't explicitly say what that would be, but we just, we thought about that and we just said, no, we don't need a test for that. And by God's grace, all of our kids are healthy and that one was as well. But even if she wasn't, that that wouldn't affect our decision to bring that life into the world, right? Why? Because that life has dignity. Even those who are weak, especially those who are vulnerable, have dignity in the sight of God. 
that we treat them as such. And if you think about babies in the womb, these are the most vulnerable, weak, non-contributors to society that we have, right? What have they done? What have they achieved? Nothing. But God says, because I have ultimate value, I have ascribed part of that to them. And this little baby that's developing in this womb, that he or she, she has that. It's inherent. And the way she's born, the way he's born, the way he functions, that none of that affects that. It doesn't rob us of our dignity. And we treat them as such. And listen, I know as we talk about something like this, maybe some of you are here and you're, you're newer to church and you're thinking, exactly what I thought. Church is getting political. Uh, churches, all they want to talk about is abortion and these trendy topics, and they want to stand against everything. This is exactly what I thought. Listen, you need to know that this is not a political issue. It's a theological one. It's a theological one because it goes to the core of what you believe about God. That, that if we believe that God has created everyone in his image, then everybody has value. Even the weak, especially the weak, the vulnerable the baby growing in a womb, and that we don't get to talk about rights, that instead it's about responsibility, that God has blessed us, and so we bless others, that that's the conversation. It is a theological issue. And so listen, I know in a room even this size, some of you have encountered abortion. Maybe some of you had an abortion. I realize that. I prayed through this as I, as I prepped. Some of you know somebody. Some of you have been affected by this from somebody else. You need to know, and I think sometimes as a church, as preachers, we, we forget this aspect. We forget to, to love these people as well. We forget to value them. You need to know if you've been involved in that in any capacity that you haven't lost your value either. That God still preserves your dignity. We're gonna talk about it more in a few moments that God redeems everything about you through the cross of Christ that he gives his very life to prove that to you. And so if you're here this morning, you are struggling with guilt and shame, and even as I say this, you're devastated, you need to know that God wants to redeem and reconcile you. He wants to remove that guilt and remove that shame and allow you to operate in the dignity and the responsibility that you were designed for, that God has that for you this morning. Everyone has dignity. Everyone has responsibility because God set it up that way. But it doesn't take us long if we look at humanity, if we read the Bible, that that gets distorted and defiled. Romans 1, you can look on the screen with me. Romans 1, 21 through 23 says this. The Apostle Paul says, For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Verse 25 goes on to talk about how we serve the creature rather than the creator. This doesn't start in Romans, though. You need to know that. That right after Genesis 1 in creation, we see Genesis 3, we see the fall. We see a tree in the garden. Genesis 4, we see that escalate. We see a brother kill a brother. So we see some of the worst mankind has to offer, and we see these distortions where we do what it says in Romans. We begin to serve the creature rather than the creator. 
that our hearts become darkened and that we say we're wise and scripture is not. We say I know what's best better than God does in our relationships, in our finances, in our behavior, in our pleasures. We say I know what's best and we exchange the truth of God for a lie, we exchange the glory of the immortal God for images, for things that make more sense to us, for things we can put in a box because God is so big, God is so complex, and we read all this and we're like, well, surely he couldn't mean, right? Surely it wasn't designed this way because it's too complex, it's too hard. Maybe God wasn't aware of it, and maybe we could enlighten him with our truth. We all do that, Right? We do it in different ways, and we trade, and we make those exchanges. We sang it about, sang about it earlier that we're prone to, to wonder, that all of us are. We're prone to wonder. We're prone to drift. We're prone to exchange. We're prone to exchange God's truth for gossip. We're prone to exchange God's peace for greed. Right, we're not content with anything we think God hasn't given us everything we need. I read one commentator who said this, that we don't, we don't obey God. We don't walk in God's will for our lives because we believe, while we may never say it, that we believe if we do, we'll be miserable. Do you ever think about that? Why do we exchange things? Why do we exchange the gifts God has given us, the way he's given us? Because at our core, while you may have never thought about this, we believe that if we do what he's designed us to do, that that won't bring us happiness. And so we find another way, and we make these exchanges. We exchange love for lust, and we distort God's design, and we do this in marriage. It's a, a big de debate in our day. What is marriage? who affirms marriage, who can be married, and all these things, and we're, we're caught in that chaos. We see crowds, we see political things integrating into this. And as Christians, we're left wondering, like, okay, what, what is it? Is that true? Maybe things, all these things change and all these things get cluttered. You need to know that even in marriage, we exchange God's truth for a distortion. That as we read the Bible from beginning to end, Genesis, we see man and woman created in God's image, that they are in union with one another in marriage. We see it in Matthew 19, that Jesus affirms that truth. We see it in places like Ephesians where, and Colossians where we're given instructions on how a husband should love his wife. And we see this affirmation of marriage between a man and a woman, and that anything outside of that is a distortion. And that includes, but is not limited to, homosexuality. We've talked about this before, that homosexuality is a sin, it's not the sin, but it is a distortion of what God designed. And so if you're here and you struggle with same-sex attraction, listen, we, we love you, we're glad you're here, you have dignity in God's eyes, but you need to know we believe that there's more for you in relationships than that that God has a better design, that we don't get to decide what that design is, that he decides it throughout scripture. And so we see in places like Romans 1, 1 Corinthians 6, 1 Timothy 1, homosexuality is talked about as a distortion, as a sin. But you need to know, again, we, we love you, and it's not the sin, it's just a sin. That Jesus hammers on divorce over and over and over. That we see that even if you lust at a woman, in your heart, that that's adultery. 
that we see all of these things, sex outside of marriage, that anything outside of God's design for marriage and, and a covenant with one another, sex within that is a distortion of what God has designed. And some of you say, well, this is, this is difficult. I mean, people have feelings and emotions, and there's, uh, there's people that get divorced all the time. There's people that have adulterous affairs all the time. Like, this is complex. This is difficult in our day. Like, do we really still hold to this? And you need to know, it is complex, and that's why God, in 66 books with 40-plus authors over 1,500 years, that the majority of what he addresses is in the context of relationship. Do you see that? How we deal with marriage how we deal with parenting, how we deal with friendships, that everything is in the context of relationships. Nothing is in a vacuum, that it's all in the context of relationships. Why? Because God knew it was hard, and God knew it was complex, and he knew that year after year it would get more complex, and he's gracious enough to give us his revealed word and tell us how it should be done. Some of you are uncomfortable right now, right? I can see it in your faces. <laughs> I'm uncomfortable right now, right? But you need to know as we think about being uncomfortable when we read scripture, that if we find a God who agrees with everything we think and do, then we're not following the real God. If we open up the scriptures, if we come in here on Sunday and every Sunday you leave, <laughs> my life is amazing. I didn't realize I was crushing it. <laughs> then we're not, we're not reading God's word, right? Then I'm just giving you some pithy truths to hold on to, to walk away, go to lunch, and not ruffle any feathers. That the majority of the time, when we open up God's word, because God is all-powerful, because he's infinite, because he's all-knowing, and we are not, when we open this up, we're going to see some things that make us uncomfortable. Every time I read scripture, I see that in my own life, and I'm a pastor, right? So if you feel uncomfortable right now, congratulations. That's an appropriate response, that God is confronting you with truth, that he does it all the time for every sin, for every aspect of life. Why? Because he, he loves us, and he knows what's best for us, that he has a better plan for us than we do, and he wants us to look to that, that as he looks at humanity, he sees what we're capable of, right? He sees what we're capable of, that with him and his power flowing through us, he sees the good we can create, the redemptive narrative that we can help be a part of writing as he writes it through us. God sees that. He wants that for you. He wants that for you this morning. And so if you're uncomfortable, you need to know that's a good thing. That means you're, you're looking at the perfect word of God and you're not perfect. And you won't be. And it's going to confront you tomorrow. And over time, you're going to grow in his grace. And you're going to become more like him. And you're going to embrace the things he says to embrace and you're gonna hit the eject button on the things he says to discard. That if we're really looking at scripture, that is what should happen. I've said this before, but we really have two options when we look at God's word. We can stand on our own opinions. Maybe some of you are thinking through, like, well, I have some feelings about all of this. Like, oh, it just rubs me the wrong way. We can stand on those opinions. We can walk out of here and choose, well, I'm gonna stay what I believe, or we can kneel under the word of God. Those are the only two options. And so I would encourage you to wrestle 
with that this morning. I think about the other night, my wife and I played Scrabble. It doesn't have anything to do with the sermon. I just wanted to break the tension. <laughs> no, it does. Um, the other night, my wife and I played Scrabble, and it was one of those rare times, like, we actually finished the game. And some of you uh, that are younger, as I say Scrabble, you're thinking, like, uh, what, what is that? Well, it's, it's kind of like po- Pokemon Go, <laughs> except it's nothing like that. It, it's a game on a board, board game. Maybe you've heard of that. And as we got into this lengthy game, we're actually about to finish. Like, we're both really tired. We got three kids, and um, we're both really tired, and we're like, should we phone it in and quit? But I'm pretty competitive, so I wouldn't let my wife do that. And so as we're putting these words together, and you know if you played Scrabble, like, you get to the end, and somehow all you have are, like, V's and W's, and no vowels. And you're like, I don't even know if this is possible. Like, I don't know if we can create any more words. So what do you do? You start making up words. <laughs> you start doing on, on, onomatopoeias. Like, well, zap. I mean, that's a word. Boom. Right? That counts, right? Like, I knew a guy named Robert. I mean, that, that counts, right? And you start to make up words because you're tired, because it's difficult, because you've run out of options. We do that all the time in life with God's word, don't we? Things get complex, things get difficult in our lives, and we start to think, like, maybe, maybe this will work. Maybe I can just insert this in the Bible. Maybe it's truth. I mean, maybe God didn't really mean what he said, unless you need to know that God always means what he says. We talked about his character last week, that he always holds to his promises, that his character is immutable, That means it doesn't change. He doesn't step to the side. He's planted firmly. That he doesn't change. And so we have to come alongside him. He doesn't come alongside us. He doesn't adapt to our words that we make up because we're tired and things are complex. And he does that because if he didn't, he wouldn't be good. He wouldn't be faithful, but he is. And so we can trust him. We don't have to make up other things. We don't have to go outside of his design. We can trust his design. And some of you, as I talk about this, we're talking about some extreme, serious things, and you're thinking, well, like, I I don't have any of those extreme things in my life. But you need to know, this isn't just external, this is internal. That Jesus talks about this in Mark 7. He says, for from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, Sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness, that all these things come from within and they defile a person. Our our second point is distorted and defiled. And I know even as I put that on the outline, I thought, well, that doesn't really roll off the tongue, right? That doesn't really look good on the screen, defiled, right? It's a little strong, right? We're distorted and we're defiled. Well, one, Jesus says that. And so it's, it's biblical. We always want to stay in that lane. But that word defiled, it means to be morally impure. Morally impure. That we're tainted. That we all have a stain of sin upon our lives. And again, sometimes we like to lighten the load. So instead of calling things sins, we'll call them struggles. Instead of calling things sins, we'll call them mistakes. And we think about, well, I made some mistakes in college. Well, I made some mistakes in my previous marriage. I made some mistakes at my, my job. But if you think about it, while we like to call them mistakes, the offended party doesn't. Right? The wife you had an affair on, she's not calling that a mistake. Right? She's deeply defended. She feels betrayed by that. 
Like that other relationship where you got angry and acted in rage, I mean, they're not like, well, that's just a mistake. No, there's some offense that occurs. There's some devastation that occurs. And when Jesus looks for a word to describe what sin does to us, what distortions do to us, he says they defile you, that we're morally impure, that there's a hole that needs to be filled, and we can't fill it because it's not just external, it's internal, that we can't think about all the bad people in the world, like, you know, not me, not me, but all the bad people in the world, like the ones in prison, you know, the ones I see on the news, like we'll just exile all those people and then we'll have this quaint paradise. No, that wouldn't happen, right? Because the problem isn't just external, it's internal and that defiles us. That it's a deep, deep issue in our hearts. And listen, that problem is worse than we could ever imagine, but this is why we're here, this is why we gather, is the solution is greater than we could ever dream, right? That God doesn't leave us here. God doesn't leave us in our distortion and defilement. He pulls us out of that, and we're gonna read what that looks like. Our third point, redeemed and reconciled. Romans 3, 23 through 24 says this. It says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. That word redemption literally means to buy you back. It's the concept of slavery, that if someone would have been in slavery, that someone else could have come along and bought them out of that, paid their price, and set them free. You need to know in all our distortion and all our definement that God comes to you that he buys you out, that you don't pay that price, that he pays it himself, and he sets you free, that he redeems you. But he doesn't just redeem you. Romans 5.10 says he reconciles you. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. That word reconciled means the restoration of friendly relations. Isn't that beautiful? That we go from enemies to friends. Some of you are thinking about things you've done in your life and things that have been done to you, maybe even today, and you're thinking about those things. You need to know that God loves you. He's not just putting up with you. That he created you with dignity, that we distorted that. But he comes right back to us and he buys us out of that distortion. And he doesn't just say, okay, well, now don't screw things up. He pulls you close. He calls you a child of the Most High God. That's amazing, right? And it's nothing that we have done. Just like we have dignity, independent of anything we can offer, we have redemption, we have reconciliation, independent of anything we could ever offer. That that's the way God has designed it. He comes and gets us and he reconciles us. What we're talking about is a a change in identity. That God has completely changed your identity. If you know him, he's transformed you. And that you begin to to like different things, that over time you begin to want to follow him instead of yourself, that over time you begin to read God's word and it still confronts you, but you conform to it quicker. That that's the way God has set it up. That God doesn't just put up with us, he redeems everything about us. 
and this is all sides of humanity, right? This is the phenomenal, and this is the flawed. This is the strong, and this is the weak. This is the old, and this is the young. He says, I love you. My grace is a gift, and it's sufficient for you. And he takes every distortion, he takes your lust, pride, gossip, and greed, and he exchanges that for truth, love, humility, and peace. You need to know if you're a believer in Jesus Christ today that that's what you walk in. That's how God sees you. And and maybe you've been living in a distorted state so long that you can't see that. And listen, that's when we're looking at God's word, is that the Holy Spirit, even in this moment right now, would open your eyes, it would flip the lenses, that you would begin to see what he sees, that as he aligns your heart and mind with his, he would change your heart, and that you could see yourself how God sees you, and you could begin to walk in that, and not just walk in that yourself, but walk in the responsibility to extend that out to everyone you know. That's what God invites you into this morning. John 7 Jesus says this, he says, whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Jesus uses that word water intentionally, that it washes us. Earlier we talked about Mark 7, that we're defiled, we have this stain, this blemish, it won't go away, it's impure. And then we see in John 7, once you believe in Jesus, he takes that defiled heart and makes it a clean heart, that he washes it with living water. That's the Holy Spirit, that when you believe in Jesus, you're indwelled with the Holy Spirit. And so for your humanity, it's not just up to your flesh. Now you have the Spirit of God working inside of you. And so you don't always have to live in the the realm of distorted. You can live in the realm of the redeemed. And I think as we close, I think most of us jump in and out of both, don't we? Most of us jump in and out of both. We feel like we're living in a tension of distorted and redeemed. We're thinking, like, yeah, Tim, I know sometimes, I know that about myself. I wake up some days, if it's a good day, if I slept all night, if I read scripture, then I know God is pleased with me. Then I know God's grace is sufficient for me, and then I'll walk in that. But on the days that I don't, I don't know if God is happy with me, I run to other things, and I live in this tension of distorted and redeemed. And you need to know that's a reality that we do live in. That while we have the Spirit of God, we still have our flesh. We still have our humanity. And so how do we live in that tension? We could do a whole sermon on that, right? And we will. Ephesians 4 talks about this. We're about to enter into a series on the book of Ephesians, and so we will talk about this more. But I just want to give you three things as we close. You can write these things down. How do we respond to this? How do we respond to how God views humanity and how we should live in light of it? The first way we respond is we repent. Repent, that we take a 180 of where we're going with humanity and we turn towards God and his design. Whatever that is for you. Maybe it's not so much external things for you. Maybe you're thinking, I I was born in a pew, Tim. I grew up in the church. I've lived a pretty clean life. I mean, my testimony is boring. If that's you, you need to know your heart is still defiled. And that you would repent. You would think about your week, as uncomfortable as that is, you would think about your day, and you would turn from those distortions and you would turn to his design. The second thing, that you would rest. That you would rest in the truths of Romans 3 and Romans 5. 
that we have been redeemed and we have been reconciled, that we are friends of God because of his great love for us, that you don't have to doubt that one second of your life, that today, right where you sit, you can rest in that. When was the last time you rested? When was the last time you, you inhaled and you exhaled at church? Amidst the conviction that you began to repent and then you began to rest and thank God, thank you for forgiving me. As we take communion, that as you repent, that after you do that, you would thank him, you would celebrate as you sing about his love for you, you would say, that's for me, that actually happened, that he sent his son for me, that you would thank him for forgiving you, that you would thank him for giving you the courage and the power to repent, that we would celebrate, and that's the third thing that you should write down, is that we would rejoice. As Christians, we have much to rejoice over because we have a God who loves us, who created us in his design, who gave us dignity, independent of what we could offer, and that even though we distort that, that he doesn't just give us some laws to correct it. He gives us his son, and he lives the life that we could never live. He dies the death that we deserve, and he rises again in victory, and we get to rejoice so as you repent, you would rest, and as you rest, you would rejoice in what we believe about God and what he says about humanity. Let's do that now. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I thank you for this morning. I thank you that you are a, a God who is holy and loving. God, that you are a God who whose character is unstained, it's undefiled, that we look to you and we don't have to wonder your intentions. We don't have to wonder, is there some kind of distorted scheme that we're all just buying into by reading God's word and, and coming to church? We don't have to wonder that. God, we can trust you fully. And so God, I pray even in these moments now that we would do that. That amidst our doubt, that amidst our disagreement, that ultimately, God, we would repent, we would rest, and we would rejoice in the finished work of Jesus on the cross in your words in scripture, in your love for us, that we would look at you and we would receive that and it would begin to transform our lives wherever we are. God, I pray in this moment that that would happen. God, that you would be gracious enough to reveal the sin in our lives. God, you don't want us to be comfortable. You want to conform us to your image, that that's so much greater. God, we would be open to that this morning, that you would open up our eyes and that you would change our hearts through that process. God, we need your help, and so we ask for it in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.